millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Dow, and on Podcast Nick and the various podcasts, Bohemian and History of Germany, uh, even History of Alchemy, we've covered beer. From many different angles, many different ways, uh, even on in, in German-only shows like Americana für Euch with uh, German immigrants coming to the States and like stories like Anheuser-Busch. But on Bohemian, we covered the original Budweiser, uh, Chesky Budiewice today, uh, where, where the original Budweiser beers would have come from, Budweiser style, and also the town of Pilsen, where Pilsner lager was invented and kind of uh, perfected still there's no better pilsner than the ones that come out of pilsen and german german laws like the beer purity act which forever defined and changed beers and uh, give us the quality that we sort of know today although that really comes from pilsen and even we did an episode on a pub crawl from prague uh, pete went out and hit the town just a couple episodes we did an interview with pete and his travels throughout the world and at this point, we've visited enough breweries to know what's up between my 10 years growing up in Munich and visiting a dozen Oktoberfests there and my 10 years in the Czech Republic. Uh, this is the best on lager, the history of Pilsen style and the deal behind the Czech town of Budweiser, making a Czech Budweiser, which is far superior to the cheap American imitation, which isn't even beer by German definitions. What's the deal with Czech Bar, Budvar, Budweiser, Czechy Budivice? The way all Pilsen residents threw down together, hired a Bavarian uh, brewmaster, and then, you know, founded the Pilsner style, the Reinheitsgebot, living in the highest pub density neighborhoods, um, and all of that. No one drinks more beer than Czechs per capita, that's a fact, except maybe Bavarians or Franconians. So we got you covered in this episode, all right? This is a medley from everything we've done before it does range over podcasts and time and quality and this is the the first segment here is episode four from bohemican some five years back nasdravi it's called which is cheers and check and from there we'll go to history of germany segment the german beer purity act which was originally part of an agora podcast network uh, collaboration on alcohol so yeah, this we've we've tackled this subject before, and then the pub crawl I mentioned, which is Pete going out, and we have guests like Mike McGuffey and and other Prague residents uh, give you the local scene there. 
I've talked about German beer even more, and like in Germans in America, like Anheuser Busch, um, and the even like German influence behind Prohibition and the Anti Saloon League and all that. But all of that is in German, so not in this episode. Um, you know, we'll get back to this. If you like that, there's much more Bohemian culture, like uh, on the town of Pilsen itself. I donned my grandfather's, you know, uh, infantry jack- jacket, and we went there for the 70th anniversary of Pilsen's liberation by American soldiers. And there's even a video on that. Uh, we we talked to um, Helen Patton, General Patton's granddaughter, on the Bohemian YouTube channel. So go check that out on the Bohemian YouTube channel. To go along with the beer, of course, Czech and German food, which just goes pairs so well with uh, beer. So all of that, we have separate episodes on German food and Czech food and all that. Czech um, Christmas traditions, which actually does is also related to beer um, because it's just so central in the culture that it relates to everything, really. Um, on Bohemian and the Germany podcast, you can find all of that on uh, podcastnick.com. Just follow the links in the show notes, really, including our beer merch in the Podcast Nick shop. Do we have beer merch? We should. Um, I think some. I don't know. Go look at our merch. Uh, anyways, on Pivo, Bia, that liquid bread that we all crave. Nazdravi. Dobry večer from Prague in the Czech Republic, and welcome to Bohemican.com podcast. I'm your host, Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy podcast. This is going to be a great episode uh, for Bohemian.com. It's the history of beer, or what we call Pivo, here in Bohemia. And uh, it's something that people travel far and wide to experience, Travis. Nastravi, Pete. Nastravi. Which, Cheers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your health. Do our listeners know what that means? <laughs> Nastravi. That's, that's your check lesson for today, folks. Uh, Bohemian-style beer is world-renowned for its contribution to Pilsner Pivo. Beer production and consumption was a staple of life through history here in this part of Central Europe. Uh, and not really just for its intoxicating effects to make you feel good, but for safety. Mm-hmm. You just didn't drink water. Yeah. If you drank water, you got sick as a dog. Bad news, yeah. <laughs> okay. A lot of stuff floating around in this stuff that would get you sick and give you dysentery. So beer was something, as well as wine, right. would, would be something that, that you would normally drink uh, without almost anything. Uh, it didn't matter if you were a king or a peasant. You had beer or wine to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as we said, the beer fits really good into this part of Europe, mainly because wine is, is difficult to grow in, in northern to central Europe. If you go to Moravia, to the southern part of this country, they're very proud about their wine production. Here in, in, in the, the central part of Bohemia... Uh, it's a little sketch. We're in beer country. Yeah, definitely. this is beer country. Yeah. So you don't mess around with wine. You know, you bring your wife here. Hey, by the way, you want a glass of wine? No, you want Pivo. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're near <laughs> some of the best hop-growing regions in the world. So and why, the why are, fight it? Why the fight Czechs it? are very proud of this one stat. Per capita, the Czechs drink more beer than any other population on the planet. It's funny. They they're actually they're actually proud of that. They are they, proud everyone of I've spoken to, they're like, we're number. <laughs> they are proud of that. They drink are very the proud most of beer. that. Uh, but going back to his historical reference here before we move on to the really good stuff, um, we know that there's different types of beer in the world. There's Germanic beers with their ales that had great influence on other breweries and how breweries were to be run in Bohemia. Uh, at, at the time, it, you had to, in the Middle Ages, the king had to grant you permission to have a, 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 uh, a brewery here uh, in, in different mm-hmm. parts of, of Bohemia. And 
it was a family legacy. It was something that the recipes weren't written down, but they were passed by word of mouth and, and the action of how to do, do that. You had to have a, a master brewer. You had to have an apprentice, and you had to teach them these type of brewing techniques. In 1256, the year 1256, breweries were built in the kingdom of Bohemia under the direction of King Ottokar II, who I can say was a badass on the battlefield, died on the battlefield, mm-hmm. uh, was really uh, one of the war- warrior kings of Bohemia that they, they produced and also liked his beer. Um, and he actually created the town called Budweiss. Does that sound familiar, that Travis? That sounds oddly... I think I've heard of that We'll before. get to that in a yeah. moment. <laughs> Medieval beer recipes were, were very close family secrets, and that continued for, for centuries. Um, one of the places that I wanted to mention here that's very close to where our podcast originates is here in Prague, and it's a, a monastery called Strahov Monastery. It's very, very close, a stone's throw away from Prague Castle. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's something that uh, we want to, to give you an example of because the monks brewed this type of beer there. And it's still, yep. still brewed today, and it is delicious. This is, yeah, it's supposedly a traditional recipe um, from the original monks. And they have a, you know, if you, if you stop by there, they have a, like a seasonal offer, you know, something for the for the fall, for the summer, for the winter. And uh, when I was doing ghost tours there, I did castle, one of the tours was the castle, because it's right there, that's where we would start. And the tourists had an option, I'd say, hey, you guys, you know, it's your money, you guys want to stop by for... A- More art and architecture, or some beer? Yeah, and I, I, I'll, I'll try to sell it to them. Like, this is really good beer, you guys. And normally, like, part of my tip would be that they'd buy me a beer or something. But, um, um, well, it, you know, it wasn't completely off the beaten path of uh, you know, talking about historical reference on your tours. Oh, no, because, like St. Norbert. Yeah, you know, St. Norbert the, the, the uh, monastery. Is, is part of that of the monastery. Also, uh, King Vladislav II in 14, mm-hmm. 1142 made this monastery and put the brewery in In, in your Rudolf II podcast, you mentioned the Devil's Bible. That's where it was kept. That's where Rudolf II kept it. Devil's so. Bible, plenty of beer, time, good times are happening. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. At Strahoff Monastery. Uh, but you mentioned you mentioned uh, Pivo uh, and St. Norbert. Uh, his ale is actually served there. Yep. It's called St. Norbert beer or it's, something. It's, yeah. it's, it's a darker beer. It's pretty stout, isn't it? Yeah. it's They have, they have a couple of them. It's like amber. A, a dark one. Dark beers are common here. But this is – I think these are more in the direction of ales rather than lagers, which I think we'll, we'll kind of break it down a little bit we later. Would, but Yeah, for, for people that aren't beer aficionados. Um, but one thing that, that – Bohemia has over everybody else is the idea that the Bohemians created Pilsner. Pilsner, yeah. In fact, um, beer, beer in general, is the cheapest thing on the menu. It's cheaper than water, on a, which they're trying to change that because it's, it just it just looks bad. You know? <laughs> it looks bad. It's, if you want a Coca Cola, if you want a soda, oh product, man, it's double as much. It's double as much. Per, so you're, you know, you're just better. You're just better to uh, have a have a beer. Yeah, I'm kind of tight on the budget right now. I better uh, better I, just I drink know. beer. And here here is the caveat: if if you come visit visit uh, Prague or any any parts of Czech Republic. Um, there are very strict laws here on on drinking and driving. There is a zero oh, yeah. tolerance. Yeah. Uh, so so people are very aware of that. And part of the issue of following rules here is is part of Czech Republic. You follow rules unless you can find a way to break them. Uh, but this is not <laughs> <laughs> this is not how this is not something they they really try to break. And it has curtailed a lot of driving deaths. So. Uh, I will tell you that if you if you are driving a rental car or plan on doing something like that, you just can't drink. Uh, if you right. do so, you can have to stick around for four or five hours until it metabolizes. Uh, but um, they do offer a lot of non-alcoholic beers here. Gosh, I can't believe I just said that on the show. It makes me sad. Sad. People inside. drink it though. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's it another thing. Good. It's like, oh, I'm having lunch. I better have a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. In the states, 
non-alcoholic beer. I, you just don't. I've it. never had one. Like, no, but they 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 but, have very good, tasty beers yeah, here that are non-alcoholic. Sure. <laughs> right, but you know, we talked, we we alluded to, uh, you know, things here in Prague. The the Czech Republic is full of of breweries that are very proud of of their product, and and one of the places that I know strikes a chord with many Americans is the name Budvar. Uh, yeah. And we talk about Budweiser back in the states. There's a town south of here. If you take Route Four, heading down towards Austria, mm-hmm. you'll pass you'll pass through Tabor. You'll pass through a few other little towns. And you'll eventually get your way down to Česká Budovice. Mm-hmm. And Česká Budovice is a beautiful little town, but they're known for one thing. What's that? Travis? Well, for you know Česká Budovice, but the German name is Budweiser, right? And I had uh, on my tours, I had some tourists that. Like man, I can't believe it. Czech is so famous for their beer, but everywhere I go, I see signs for Budweiser. <laughs> What's going on? I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, right? Um, so, I would say a lot of people, most people, I don't know, but but you're you're definitely aware that there's two Budweisers in the world. There's the Anheuser Busch one, which I'll call Bud, just to in clarify. St. Louis, Missouri. Right, and there is. The Czech Budweiser, which I'll just call Czech Var to keep them very distinct for for you know when I break it down, but um, in the states, so they've I mean there's like 30 court battles on who has the name, um, who has you know the trademarks and everything, and where that comes from. The reason there's so many battles is that both are right. I wouldn't say like one's clearly one clearly came first, one clearly uh, you know one clearly has the trademark. Um, the thing is, Budweiser just means a beer from Budweiser, just like you have Pilsner, right? It's a beer from Pilsner. Now it kind of means more Pilsner style, because Pilsner is a certain way of brewing. But it's just like saying Berliner beer, uh, uh, Munich Münchener beer, right? Like, this is just you know Budweiser beer. Well, so some people, some people actually call uh, um, like when you, when you when you have a, a Guinness, they call it a pork chop. It's got the same caloric intake as a pork chop. Well, you know, okay, so, 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 so hamburger, beer, hamburger right? beer works, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like Viennese beer is like Vina beer, like you know, it's it's hmm, yeah, that's another weird one. But um, so you know, the word Budweiser just means beer from Budweiser, beer from Chesky Budiovice. However, the the trademarked name actually came from Anheuser Busch. So um, Mr. Bush married Anheuser's daughter. And he joined his father-in-law's brewery, right? So now we kind of get that, Anheuser-Busch. That was at the end of the 19th century. And Bush went off looking for ways to improve brewing methods and, you know, where better to go than Bohemia. And there he heard of or visited a town called Budweiss and found out that they had excellent beer and came home and had a couple of tips on brewing. But... Um, also had a great name for a beer. This is something that that resonated. Like German speaking German speaking immigrants definitely would have known what a what a Budweiser is, a Budweiser. So, um, in Budweiser, in the uh, in Budweiser, in Czechy Budovice, the town, there's a couple of breweries, not just one. There's there's Budvar, which that's the name. If you buy Czechvar in America, Czech Budweiser. It's sold as Czechvar or Budvar or, or some something thereof, but there's another one called Brugabroy, which is like citizens brew. So it's kind of a people-owned thing, and Budvar is state-owned. This is from the communist days when the, the, they nationalized all the the breweries. Pilsner and, and, was state-owned. As, as an aside, this is very important too. There were many many breweries here before the communists came, 
And when the communists mm-hmm. actually came into power in 1948 uh, in, in uh, the Czech Republic, or Czechoslovakia at the time, uh, they um, conglomerated forcefully. A lot of them merged. Yeah. And they yep. merged. And so there was something lost in that that is, is, is coming back uh, into full bloom mm-hmm. in the 21st century oh, yeah. uh, with the freedoms that they have as a, as a republic now. But uh, there were just a handful of these breweries back this, in, the, in the days of, the, of communism. Yeah, and this actually goes back to some of these court cases that – Chekvar, as we know it, um, maybe originated in communist days. However, one of the smaller breweries that that came from was in 1796. So if you go to its oldest roots, um, Chekvar clearly wins as far as older beer being known as Budweiser. Okay, But they probably had a different brewery name. It could have been Schmidt's Budweiser Beer or whatever. And... Um, uh, Anheuser-Busch was the first to actually trademark Budweiser so in they, the States. They, they got to the patent office first. That, I mean, right. that's really the story in short. But a hundred years later. Right. Okay. Then that's that's not it. So, uh, so in America, Anheuser-Busch kind of, let's say, won more court battles, so they're known as Budweiser, and, and Budvar is known as Czechvar or Budvar, uh, Czechvar or Budvar sometimes, but um, in... Europe, it, it was country by country, and in several of the countries, Czechvar won, so they're Budweiser, and Anheuser-Busch has to be called Bud, or something different. I think the only place where they are, you can actually have both, where you can see both on the same shelf, because the consumers are beer-conscious enough that they don't get confused, is in the UK. You can see Budweiser and Budweiser. They're both called Budweiser, and they're both on the same shelf. One, one's Anheuser-Busch, one's from Czeski Budiewice. Uh, but everywhere else, it just you know, you just they get the the brand confused. And Travis, you you've actually taken a tour of the uh, the brewery down there in Chuskabitovich, haven't you? Yep. Yeah. What what is that like? Well, it's a the, 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 is it a mecca for a lot of American tourists? The, the thing is, I you know I don't really think so. I don't think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of German speakers there, but it's really Southern Bohemia. There's not a there's a lot of other things to see, like castle wise and. But Chesky-Budivitsa itself, the city isn't a huge tourist draw. I mean, except for maybe that it's Budweiser and, you know, and, and that brewery is really a factory. It's modern, it's huge, it's still state-owned. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, and, and, uh, let's now, talk about the taste. You know, I one, one thing is uh, when you have so many different great beers here, it's, it is difficult uh, to, to pick out the beers you want. So when, being here for the past two years, I... I I've become, uh, you know, a, an adventurous drinker in the sense of uh, nothing too much, but <laughs> just enough to try try a different brand every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do like Budvar, but it's kind of got a maybe a soapy sort of taste to it. Is that part of the it's, process? It's not my favorite beer. However, if you take the, if you take the tour, um, they they'll let you try. They t- take you down underground and they'll let you try it in a very cold chamber before it gets pasteurized. Yeah, and that is delicious. In fact, even if you have it at the at the kind of bar restaurant they have in the brewery, it's just so. It's just I guess it's really fresh. I don't know, but it's just so good. If you buy it here in a bar, it's it's it loses something clearly. People don't drink beers in cans that much. Oh no! I uh, people will will drink beers in bottles only. Is yeah. pretty much the flow, yeah. and they'll take the bottles back for recycling to get right. their money back. That happens quite a bit here. Now they have experimented with some some breweries with bottling in plastic bottles. 
Uh, they've done that in the United States for some years now. Um, it's insulting to Czechs. Actually, there's a lot. There's some billboards for co- competing or competitive uh, uh, breweries that make fun of the other brewery for bottling in a plastic bottle. Right. Um, it does change the taste. I know that when you have them in the cans, it, it does it does hurt the taste of the beer. Yeah, the exception to the plastic bottle rule is. Um, I've seen people on several occasions grab any plastic bottle, Coke bottle, whatever, go down to the local bar and say, fill it up, I need to go back home. And this happens all the party. time. One, one thing and that, they just straight from the tap, you know? One thing that is part of Czech culture here in the summer is everybody, doesn't matter what station in life you have, what how much money you have coming in, everybody has a cottage. <laughs> oh, yeah, Everybody right. splits town to get out of the hot, hot cities of, of Ostrava, out of the hot cities of Bruno, out of the hot city of Prague, and they go into the country. Uh, our family has a, a little little cottage uh, that is shared by other family members. Uh, we don't own it, but we we just we crash there uh, in Schumava, which is the uh, southern part near Austria, uh, that uh, is in the south um, western part of the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 so it's it is it's a very neat wooded area down there, but very sparse with these little towns. And it's very common for people to go to the to the bar and say, "Could you fill up these pitchers? We'll bring yep. back the pitchers later." Yep. <laughs> and they'll exactly. bring, they'll walk back to the to the cottage and have a barbecue out there, a cookout, and just drink, and then bring back. I mean, it's it's kind of Mayberry esque. Sure. Uh, uh, about the trust factor with this, but you know, beer pivo is the staple part of life here. There's a lot of interesting quirks about Czech beer, and uh, for instance, if you order a beer, you're going to get asked. Well, you know which which grade, okay? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Or or they'll say, um, for for instance, they'll say, uh, like if you ask, you say, okay, I want a beer. They'll say, um, tenner, twelver, like you know, dvanatsku, something, and it's not so ten ten degree beer. Ten, think of it as the fermentation grade, or more formally the the. Gravity balling. There, basically, a, a system invented by Professor Balling in the 17th century. So the degree, if you say 10 degree beer, that um, does not mean it's 10 percent. Sometimes people, not in Bohemia, they use a degree sign, but in other parts of the world, if they use this, they'll put a percentage sign, we, we use which causes in the states, which tells you yeah. the alcoholic level. Right. So uh, this causes confusion know, because, because it's, it's, not the same. it's not proof. It's not percentage. <laughs> yeah. A, a, I mean, a, a normal. Five percent beer could easily be an eleventh grade. Eleven grade. There's no direct correlation, so I can't say five percent is ten grade and six percent is twelve grade. No, it's you can have some some heavier beers that are lighter, have a lighter alcohol content. It has more to do with the temperature of brewing, the percentage of malt, you know, in the brewing or malt extract in the in the brewing process. So not alcohol per se. There is some correlation. Um, an 18 grade beer has a lot more alcohol than a 10 grade beer, but it's not a one to one or you know not a not a straight relationship, right? Pilsner is uh, the claim to fame for Bohemia. Uh, they introduced this to the rest of the world, and uh, it is uh, a very very famous beer. And there's a great joke that I want to tell you uh, dealing yeah. with this, and it's kind of an inside joke. If you live here, you, you kind of get a little giggle out of it. Uh, but to, before I start it, you have to know that there's a soft drink. That is uh, not quite Coca-Cola, but it's called Kofala. It's communist cola. It's communist cola. It tastes <laughs> as if you. I don't want to upset the fine folks at Kofala, but <laughs> some folks love their Kofala. It's, so it's you don't an acquired taste. It's like yeah. if you left Coca-Cola out um, open for a couple of days. It's kind yeah, of flattish a little can, bit. Can we politically correctly say that this is our impression that it tastes like flat 
licorice soda. There you go. Something like that. I don't think but, there's anything disparaging about that yeah, description. Um, I don't mind it so much. I think if you compare it to Coca-Cola, I, I get a little touchy. But in <laughs> in its own right, it's a um, enjoyable drink. And, and I never sort of. like to explain a joke before I tell it because I mean it's going to really go bad. But <laughs> but you have to know this for this to be somewhat um, uh, funny. All right, so there's three men that go into a pub here in the Czech Republic, and uh, one of the man, one of the men is from Pilsen, other man's from Czech Budovica, and the third man's from Prague. Mm-hmm. All right, so the guy from Prague orders uh, his favorite beer, which is brewed here in Prague, called a Staropramen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Staropramen, uh, Prozim, Prozim. Uh, the guy from Czech Budovica says, oh, "I'll have a Budvar, please." Mm-hmm. You know, from his hometown. And the guy from Pilsen looks at both these guys and tells the waitress, uh, "Prozim, uh, I I will have a, a Kofla, a soft drink." And the other two guys look at him very strange with an inquisitive look and, and say, aren't you, aren't, aren't you having beer with, a, with us? He goes, if you, if you guys aren't having beer, I'm not having beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, again, it's funny. However, how, here. I do – Pilsner, <laughs> out of the macro – the big breweries, Pilsner is by far my favorite. So yeah, There might be some truth to that. Too, fair right? enough. I, I do say that, but I think that's a great segue into into what uh, Pilsner is like here. Um, and it, it is from a town in uh, western Bohemia called Pilsen. Uh, Pilsen uh, beer simply means that it comes from there. Pilsner beer tradition goes back to the 13th century, um, and it, it was topped with a fermenting ale. Uh, you could basically get this idea if you go to one of the one of the tours uh, at Pilsner Urquell. Uh, which is uh, the Czech term for that, if I can remember, if I can actually say this correctly, is uh, Pilsensky uh, Prazdory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pilsensky Prazdory is what you'll hear here in, in, uh, in Czech Republic when you say you want a Pilsner Urquell. Uh, Urquell is German for original, is that correct? It's uh, like, it's like... Or number one? The fir- No, no, it's like the first spring or prehistoric spring. He's good or, yeah. Now, how would you say that in German? Wokvel. Wokvel. Pilsner Wokvel. Yeah, and so... And so you know, they wanted to. They put that name to this pills and process to this company mm-hmm. because there were a lot of imitators when this first came out, and so they wanted to say they were number one. They were the first to do this, and their process. If you take the tour, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you. You can see the the modern brewing plant with the the computers and the technology and the conveying conveying belts. Cool. But the coolest part is when you actually take a tour from one of the, the dress tour guides and you go down into the cellars, man. Mm-hmm. And you see the process from from uh, several hundred years of, of, of how they how they brew this and what they do. Uh, they have an amazing museum and a 21st century uh, state of the art 4D experience. When I say 4D, you've got your taste, you got your smell, you got your touch, and you got uh, some other uh, um, vibrations mm-hmm. <laughs> during yeah. during the movie presentation. And you get to actually put hops in your hands and you feel the water spray in your face. Uh, and you get to see uh, in a in a hermetically sealed case uh, a a genetic uh, um, uh, one of the first hops that they have uh, replicated maybe genetically later. Okay, if it was just ever in destroyed. case. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. Take it very seriously, uh-huh. here, folks. Okay, so you go through this tour, and at the end of the tour, they take you to this this very very deep sort of um, very cold dark place. They would take the ice from the river there and break it in pieces and put it in there. Uh, and as it melted through the course of the year, it would have these gutters along the way that would go where the brewing process is located to cool down this this whole apparatus. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, you know, 17th, 16th or 17th, 18th century technology instead of air conditioning. 
to cool right. the process down. You can see mold and on the walls. You can see uh, the fermentation process uh -huh, right yeah. in front of you. So it is pretty cool. So the reason that cooling is important, right, is because this is lager beer. And I think um, uh, definitely our beer aficionado, aficionado listeners will certainly know the difference between ale and lager. But the, the, the difference is pretty simple, that ale is a top-fermenting beer that brews at room temperature, and lager, lager is the, the German word for storage, or like to, to store. And, and so it's, it's brewed at a colder temperature, it's bottom-fermenting beer, and it's critical to keep that room at that temperature during the whole process, hence the ice and the basements and, and this, these cold rooms. And they do taste very different. And, and so when this technology came around, this is, you know, like you just said, one of the places it was per perfected was in Pilsen. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention some other great beers from around the, the Republic uh, that are renowned for what they are, too. We talked about Stedel Primen here in, in Prague. Gambrinus is another one. Velki Podovice uh, is another one. Um, Pilsner Uriquil. There's some other, great, uh, some other great beers that if you travel around Bohemia, you'll find them. And, of course, every town is so proud of what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to Strakonica, which is, which is actually on the way to Shumovo from Prague, heading south, uh, it's it's a very old fortified fortified city, but they're very proud about Dudak. Uh, uh -huh. Oh correctly. yeah, I've had that. Yeah, one. it's yeah, it's yeah. actually it's a very small brewery. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, uh, pres the former president Klaus actually was down there and tasted it and said this is one of my favorite beers. Mm -hmm. um, I made him some Russian there, uh, but <laughs> sorry. Um, so I mean, there have been some prominent people that that have tried it, um, uh, Dudak, and uh, love it very much. Uh, there's Terra Bruno. There's Ostravar. Uh, from Ostrava. Branek oh, yeah, also yeah. does a great uh, non-alcoholic beer, too. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, that is, is kind of uh, uh, an acquired taste, but uh, I would say that it does go well. I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but lemon beer. They have a lot of different oh, flavors yeah. of beer. Yeah. I think in the States, that would be geared definitely towards the women drinkers of beer. Uh, but here... People do it because it's refreshing. Really, Everybody really drinks beer. Really hot summer day is not an excuse to not drink beer. You just go for the – like in Germany, they have, beer. they have the yeah. Rodler. It's like lemonade and, and – uh, but lemonade in the German sense, like Sprite. It's like Sprite and beer. And it's, it was – it's, Rodler is like a bicyclist, right? So it's like, oh, I'm really – I'm working out here. I'm going on a tour. <laughs> Don't drink beer because it's healthy. <laughs> well, well, you can't not drink beer. That's right. But, but you can mix some Sprite in it and, you know, compromise, compromise. Have we enticed some of our listeners to make the trip to come to Prague or come to the Czech Republic? I think we have. Uh, it is it is basically a beer paradise it's here. It's a delicious city. It is. And, you know, to give you an, to give you, to give you an idea uh, about what this like what this is like, uh, we're going to give you a little special treat here on the show tonight at Bohemican.com. You know what? Can we, can we just go for some beers beer, right now? Travis and I are going to make a trip to a local pub, and we're going to have beer, and we're going to tell you the experience. You're making me thirsty here. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is ridiculous. All right, so let, let's go to that right now. Okay, we are here getting some beer tonight. Travis, how do you feel about that? Well, it's about time. I've been talking about beer all night, and finally we're here. So, um, yeah, it's good stuff, too. We're drinking Pilsner. It's a 12th grade. We, we talked about that. Um, so you're saying we're going to feel this in a little bit later is what you're saying? A little bit later? Um, uh, I, I played the fifth. And so we're, we're here with some buddies, some experts in the field. So we have with us, can we name your names? My name, Nitesh. And, and who else do we have here? It's Omar. Hi, everyone. That was Omar. Already we've had too much beer. It's only been a half a half a half a glass. What would you say about the the experience of drinking beer in the Czech Republic, Chavez? Well, it's dirt cheap. Uh, when I moved here, it was like fifty cents a glass. Now it's like maybe a dollar a glass. 
Um, it's the cheapest thing on the menu, and it's it's pretty good stuff. Guys, what do you have, do you have a special type of beer that you guys like? Yeah, I do like 10 degrees of Czech type. I'm, I do usually have like a couple of them in the night. What's your favorite beer? Uh, I like beer Kozel. Kozel. Yeah, it's a great beer. It's, per, it's brewed here in Prague, actually, isn't it? It's just south of Prague. It's one with the goat on it. Yes, you're right. Yes, I've seen him. I've seen the goat. <laughs> I actually went on the tour and I got to pet the goat. What's Omar's favorite beer? Pilsner, 12 degrees, and then Kozel, the dark one. Pilsner is probably, I would say, it's my favorite, like big, big brewery, right? But uh, I, I will say that uh, this is a very typical thing to do on, on not just a Friday night or a Saturday night, okay. but any night. People go out to drink uh, beer at any given time here in Prague. Uh, especially for breakfast and or lunch <laughs> and brunch and mid-meal snack. And is there a better beer than Czech beer? Have you had, is there something better? Not really, not for me. Czech is the best. Is, is Slovak beer better than Czech beer? It's almost as good as Czech. <laughs> All right, well, um, that was delicious. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, I you know it. it what's what's fun about about going to different pubs, and it's something we have to mention with this Pivo broadcast, is that you know one of the things that you have to understand is that pubs have a very unique identity, and you'll see this when you go to England, you'll see this when you go to a few other places, but here in Prague, there are names for things that uh, that are unique to the pub. Uh, uh, the Three Pigs. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of that's the name of uh, one of the pubs here. They've got three little piglets that are on top of the deal. Um, and near Zhishkov, which is a kind of a working class neighborhood near the little mountain, there's one that uh, is uh, a very difficult area for a lot of expats to go into because they're very the, the locals like their privacy mm-hmm. <laughs> away from foreigners. Uh, but uh, there's uh, one called the the Bar of the One Eye, if I'm not mistaken, which is a reference to uh, Jan Zhishka, the uh, famous um, uh, um, Hussite warrior uh, that is, that graces the mountain. Uh, it's a tough bar to go into. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, but, not quite a biker bar, but but tough enough. So you know, every bar's got its own well, unique sort of view. Ukatia, and there, there's one in several cities, which is at the executioners, and the, those are in every city. That's where the executioner, because they can only go to one place. That's right. In the, like in the days of medieval of, times, yeah. they were shunned by other societies. So, the, so and if you wanted a beer, it's still in Prague, and it's still called that right off the Old Town Square. That'd yeah. be Ripley for a T-shirt. Ukatia. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so as you know, there there is a very unique culture, beer culture here in Czech Republic, and uh, you'd be remiss not to come here and experience some of that. It is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's not just beer. It's not just beer. There, there's something called be- bekarovka, uh, yeah. that, and there's a fermentation process that would make moonshiners in in uh, West Virginia proud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, if you were to, uh, to to distill herbs and even juniper, uh, you would get uh, some of these great uh, these these very I want to say great kind of acquired taste to me, but uh, um, some very potent uh, concoctions. You know, yeah, it. it this Becherovka kind of it tastes a certain way, you know. It is kind of a, I mean, it's a, it's an herbal liquor, right? But but it tastes a certain way because it started off as medicine, or rather, it was it was kind of developed by a pharmacist. And it, that is a so, great way to put it. It tastes like medicine. It's you know, <laughs> I, I like it, but but then you're like, wow, that's a why would they go in that direction with the taste? And then you find out that like, okay, it was originally it's a digestive aid, and that still. I tell you what, it's still in 2013. Uh, that is, I just dated the podcast, but it is still recommended as a um, hangover cure. Nice. You're feeling pretty, pretty. <laughs> little hair of the dog. A little hair of the dog the next morning. Yeah. What, what is hair of the dog in check? Boy, I don't, I don't even want to know. Yeah, well, Something un- unpronounceable. <laughs> 
but um, yeah, so so Bekharovka is it's it's a it is very famous, also without you know not just in the Czech Republic, but it's from Karlsbad, from Karlovy Vary in Czech, and which is a famous Czech um, resort spa town. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It, it, again, for our listeners, this is has to be another show. <laughs> we keep coming mm-hmm. up with more shows when we talk about these podcasts, but. Uh, uh, there are and throughout Czech Republic, there are these spa towns that you can actually, if if you are a Czech resident or well, I don't know, it's an EU citizen, but a Czech resident, you through your insurance, mm-hmm. your insurance will pay for you to take these spa visits. It could last a couple of days, a week, uh, maybe even several months to recuperate from injuries or just to get well again. And yeah. Karlovary is one of those uh, very unique places yeah. that um, that uh, uh, caters to this, and they want to give you healthy things. And uh, it, you might actually get a, a glimmer of this from that first James Bond movie, uh, uh, Casino Royale, with mm-hmm. Daniel Craig. That's all filmed in Calavari. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's what the town really looks yeah. like. It's supposed, um, to, it's supposed to be Montenegro in the movie, but but uh, right. it's it's, yeah. uh, it's it's definitely Calavari, and uh, they uh, they would give you something like Bekarovka to uh, help yeah, your digestive it's, yeah, process. Yeah, it's all you go there to heal. Um, in fact, there's a famous meeting. Um, that I read about in German, it's um, uh, Bach met Goethe there in Karlovavai. Like they're both there for you know spa health reasons, and they met each other. It's like a famous meeting among those uh, in, in German circles, at least. I don't know if, if I've never seen that that conversation written about in English, but um, yeah, it's 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 a for centuries it was a famous healing town. They have have you heard about the uh, kind of radioactive? Um, because there's there's the old mines like so there's there's silver mines vaguely in the area there's it's a you know mining area near there but one of them is and they still use it it's still in use was um, you can go in these caves and it's radi- it's slightly radioactive and they say slightly enough that it's healthy you can kind of go in there and <laughs> that can't be right they still do it I wouldn't do it I wouldn't recommend it but but they still do Carla, so Carla Vary is is an area that uh, is is full of Russian expats. And so Nowadays, it is little yes. Russia, yeah. And, and some Czechs look at it in a negative aspect. It, it used to be little Germany. There were only Germans there in, in the Austro-Hungarian days. Now it's only Russian. Now, now, of course, if I told you that uh, a Russian would love to say, "I love Bekarovka," um, they probably would be shot because it's a vodka drinking uh, society. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but this stuff is 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 no pushover grandmother's teetotaling type of of, of alcohol. Bekarovka is is how much proof? Seventy-six. Okay, yeah, that's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. All right, oh, yeah. so so you got to you got to sip it. It's a sippy sort of thing. So you got to mm-hmm. sip it. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's it, it's prestigious enough. It's won some awards. Like I, when I was reading about the you know the early days of the of the um, Bechirovka, it actually won a Grand Prix, which I thought was a race, but um, it, they won a Grand Prix in the World Expo in Paris in nineteen hundred. So you know it was famous then already, and that was in you know its early days. Well, so, you know, we we talk we talk about and there's. Actually, there's so many more things that that are distilled here from from herbs and and, and other uh, liquids. They distill everything they here. Still, let's, yes. let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. This is this kind of like the West Virginia idea of distilleries here. Um, uh, you do have to be careful. Recently, uh, there have been some some poisonings of people that oh, yeah. uh, that will buy something without a label, mm-hmm. without any background to it, and uh, they they lost their vision or they or they died. Uh, this is clear liquid. They were like called- moonshine. I mean, just last year they were called all the alcohol in the country, all the bars everywhere. They only sold wine for a week or two because people were falsifying 
the labels and and you know some bars got it from a back alley yeah. a dealer or you didn't know what you're gonna get yeah even supermarkets you know you, there there was there was some wholesaler in between that got some shoddy alcohol somewhere and people were dying and going blind people were were saying that it's it's uh, Czech Republic's and prohibition and you would think it was the end of the world because it was only like what maybe 15 days I, I thought it was the end of the yeah. world I thought <laughs> so, I was like oh my gosh you know come on I was on. looking at my liquor cabinet like uh oh am we're, I gonna get low uh, but I I think. Um, uh, one of the things that, that tourists uh, bring here is an expectation that they'll be able to get something called absence, mm-hmm. uh, the Green Ferry. That's right. All right. Yeah. Um, why is that, Travis? Because that's not from Bohemia. Yeah, I don't think it is originally. I mean, when, when I think of it, I, I think more of Paris. But um, it, I think the reason it's so tied to here and the, and the tourists really want to go for it is because it was made illegal for a long time basically everywhere else. Um, in Germany, you could find something called absinthe, but wasn't the real deal. And in the States, it was just completely banned. And um, I, they recently made it legal pretty much everywhere again. Um, but but when you think of absinthe, think of like turn of the century, nineteenth, you know, nineteen twenties maybe. And people would mix it with laudanum or mix it with you know some kind of morphine or, or opiate. And um, just the combination was so well known that when they banned opiates, they also banned absinthe. So there's, there was no real reason for making it illegal in the first place, and people kind of came around. But for a long time, I think even now it still has a reputation. You come to Prague, oh, you got to have an absinthe shot with the, the burning sugar and the, you know, right. the absinthe spoon. There, there's a culture around it. It tastes definitely. horrible. It, it, it is a Hence very, the sugar. Yeah. very bad taste. Uh, yeah. it, it'll... <laughs> And they say put hair in your chest. It might take hair off your chest. Uh, I, I think, and you'll find it. You'll see when you walk down the, these alleyways, which is one of the, my favorite things to do in Prague, and and also in some other cities too. Is just to walk down these alleyways that are that are medieval, oh, and yeah. they connect to the, you know grand uh, um, squares, city squares mm-hmm. eventually. Uh, but you can get lost, wonderfully lost in this town, wonderfully lost in Tavo, in, in wonderfully way. lost in, in, yeah. in in other places in in, in this in this great mm-hmm. republic. But um, in Prague, you will see every you know in every street there's going to be a little hutch or a little convenience store with a wooden door, and it'll be a, a bright green sign saying "Absence Sold Here." Yeah. And uh, you know, folks, it, it's probably not worth. It. I don't want to ruin the business for absence stuff, but if, if you're in a you town full of beer, that's really where no, you need to go, be. Yeah, go for the Czech beers. Get yourself some Bechirovka, Slivovitsa, this uh, plum schnapps, or any other kind of fruit schnapps, and mead. Have you have you had? Uh... No, I've never had mead. Really? Okay, we've got to get you some mead. Uh, that's, that's another thing that's, that's far more common here than any other place I've ever been. Um, and, I mean, you know what we're talking about, like basically honey ale, right? So it's, it's um, low content, low alcohol content, kind of honey beer, but just made from, made from honey, fermented. Well, we really hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, I, I really had a you know a great time talking about this and and uh, exper- you know having an experience with with uh, different types of uh, beer when we went out to the pub. I think uh, um, it's it's uh, it, it is a fun experience about living here in Prague as an expat. Um, when I do go home to the states, uh, yeah, I do have a uh, maybe a Budweiser or a Coors or every once in a while, definitely a Sam Adams. Uh, you know, I do miss the beer here. <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. comparison. You can get some of these brands in the United States. Uh, they actually, so, when, I, when I went to college in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, they had Pilsner on tap right around the corner from where I live. They had like maybe 10 beers on tap, but one of them was Pilsner. It might be. So it's, you, you, know, know. You, can, you can definitely get a taste of this stuff everywhere and uh, you know around the world these days. Um, uh, unfortunately, I was going to say unfortunately, conglomerations have really bought up a lot of these breweries. 
what you think is is uh, uh, a very unique brewery in itself is actually owned by a multinational corporation, uh, right. probably someplace yeah. else in South Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, you know, they they own a lot of they own a lot of these breweries. But uh, uh, still, um, if you want to come to the Czech Republic, this has to be part of the part of the process. You got to at least have a have a beer uh, and enjoy your time here to watch the people go by. It goes great with the with the very starchy, heavy food. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dumplings. We'll get into that in another show uh, between a potato and a bread dumpling. Uh, if you don't know that, you're going to get kicked out. So, um, <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Hold on, we're not done. Here we go. Beer Purity Act is next. Without further ado, here is my part from the History of Germany, German Beer Purity Act. And I I did also translate it in German if you want to find that. It's um, on historyofgermanypodcast.com and you'll see like a little German flag. So here we go. The Reinheitsgebot or, or German Beer Purity Law. Welcome to the History of Germany segment of the show. I'm Travis Dow. Now the History of Germany podcast may be a new show, but I have a thing or two to say about alcohol, especially beer. I lived in Munich for 10 years. I lived in Oregon 10 years, 10 years in Prague. Actually, I think I'm missing a few years there somewhere. Anyways, I can come across as a bit of a beer snob when traveling and talking to the local peasants that aren't from those beer elitist places. Oh, wait, I'm doing it again. Well, fact is, Germans have been taking their beer very seriously for a very long time. If you've ever heard of the German Beer Purity Act, the Reinheitsgebot, then you'll know what to thank for why your beer is what it is. It's basically set the standard for beer since the 15th century. And though it was meant as a law for the Holy Roman Empire, and specifically Bavaria, it wasn't removed from the law books until 1993. And even then, in a different itineration, it's still around today. According to this law in the strictest sense, and since we're talking about Germany, I'm going to take the strictest sense for granted, beer may only be called beer, well, technically bia, B-I-E-R, if it's made using certain standards and very specific ingredients, namely water, barley, hops, and then once yeast was figured out in the 19th century yeast, and that's it. So for example, by these standards, several big American beer companies never actually brewed beer. I don't want to insult anybody. American craft beers are definitely some of the best in the world, but the big breweries are often a different matter. Call it what you want, malt liquor, sewage, whatever, but by Reinheitsgebot's definitions, it's not beer. See what I mean about being a beer snob? I usually don't even agree on a definition of beer with your average Joe back home. Many beers often contain ingredients like rice or corn, therefore disqualifying themselves in the past from being called beer in Germany. For more on this, Bohemian Podcast did a great show on beer that explains beer from the Czech town of Budweis, therefore a Budweisa, and other um, beverages that use that name. We have the origins of the Purity Act in 1487, when Albert IV, Duke of Bavaria, started to spread it and specifying three ingredients, water, malt, hops, for the brewing of beer. Later, in the city of Ingolstadt, in the Duchy of Bavaria, on the 23rd of April, 1516, two other dukes endorsed the law and started following it, adding standards for the sale of beer in addition to the ingredients. The law also set the price of beer at 1 to 2 pfennigs per mass. That's basically one to two cents for a liter of beer. As anyone who has been to the Oktoberfest knows, a mass is a liter of beer, as in a liter glass. A liter, it's about a quart, is a serving. So welcome to Bavaria. 
pints are cute, don't get me wrong. It's good for, like, let's say children's size. Oh, man, there I go again. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. The Reinheitsgebot is no longer part of German law. It, it was replaced by the Provisional German Beer Law in 1993, which, al which allows constituent components pro prohibited in the Reinheitsgebot, like, for instance, yeast, but also wheat, malt, and cane sugar, and no longer allows unmalted barley. So Hefeweizen, Weissbier, it's still a beer. Now, the Reinheitsgebot was introduced in part to prevent price competition with bakers for wheat and rye. The restrictions of grain to barley was meant to ensure the availability of affordable bread, as more valuable wheat and rye were reserved for, for bakers, basically. And no yeast was mentioned, of course, because it was not until the 19th century that Louis Pasteur discovered the role of microorganisms in fermentation. Therefore, yeast was not known to be an ingredient in beer. Brewers generally took some sediment from the previous fermentation and added it to the next, the sediment generally containing the necessary organisms to perform fermentation. If none were available, they would just set up several vats and just kind of hope that the natural airborne yeasts would inoculate the brew. Now, hops are added to beer to impart flavors, but also as a preservative. Like in IPAs, for instance, it was meant to last from, from England to India. And their mention in the Reinheitsgebot was meant to prevent alternative methods of preserving beer that had been used before the introduction of hops. And thank goodness for that, because medieval brewers often tried to preserve beer in, by including things like soot or fly agaric mushrooms, um, more other kind of Groot herbs, such as stinging nettle and henbane. Henbane, by the way, little footnote here, the German name, name of henbane is Bilsenkraut and may have originally meant Pilsen herb, indicating that, you know, obviously Pilsen was a city where they used a lot of, a lot of henbane for preservations. And trust me, we cover Pilsner beer on Bohemian Podcast too. We were actually drinking Pilsner while covering, so take that as you will. Breaking the Reinheitsgebot meant they could confiscate the tainted barrels without compensation. Even in the 20th century, Bavaria was a bit touchy with what could be imported to Bavaria and what could be called beer. During the Weimar Republic, so after World War I, these legal disputes would be recounted, often quite emotionally, in the local newspaper. But, before, but even before that, get this, Bavaria insisted on its application throughout Germany as a precondition of German unification in 1871. So basically, Bavaria insisted that Germany get its beer in order before agreeing to sit down at the beer garden conference table with Prussia. I mean, I presume it was obviously at a beer garden, right? So while I clearly have my biases, you'll just have to forgive them. This is some serious stuff. As a result, some northern Germany traditions like cherry and spice beer kind of became extinct. Too bad, really. <clears throat> Pilsner-style beers shot up in popularity. Well, then some more stuff happened, a few changes of government, a few world wars, details really, when talking about the vastly more important history of beer, and I think we can all agree. In any case, when West Germany was founded, it again came up before legislators in 1952 for the Biersteuergesetz. That's the beer taxation law. So now we're talking about the beer taxation law and no longer the purity law, but this was really a name change only. It still regulated ingredients. And then in May 1988, a European court of justice Ruling led to the Reinheitsgebot being lifted, allowing ingredients beyond that what was listed in the Biersteuergesetz. This meant that anything allowed in other foods was also allowed in beer. 
Now, the lifting of the Bier Gazettes, the beer law, only concerns imported beer. Beer brewed in Germany still must follow the law, as it should be. After German reunification in 1990, there were again disputes because some East German breweries were adding sugar. Uh, okay, I know, I know. Blasphemy, sacrilege, but I try not to judge, okay? I will at some point have a lot to say about Stasi and East German atrocities, but I think I might have to skip sweet beer when covering the GDR. I, I would just get too emotional. Now, the revised Vorläufiges Biergesetz in 1993 is a slightly expanded version of the Reinheitsgebot, allowing, besides water, malted barley, hops, yeast, for bottom fermenting beer, but also different kinds of malt and even sugar for top fermenting beer. All ingredients and the process itself are subject to additional regulations. Thus, German breweries continued to comply with the Biergesetz, but often in terms of marketing, you still hear breweries complying with the Reinheitsgebot. And not just Germany. Little shout out back home for Deschutes Brewery in Bend, Oregon, for instance, proudly proclaims compliance with the Reinheitsgebot. Until superseded by a change in EU law, the Reinheitsgebot was also enforced in Greece from the early 19th century due to a, a law by the, by the first Greek king Otto, who was originally a Bavarian prince. That had remained in effect for over a hundred years. But not just Greece and Germany, but also Namibia Breweries Limited also claims to be compliant with the Reinheitsgebot due to its historical connection to Germany. And China's most sold beer in the USA, Zingdao, followed the law, at least in the past, since it was founded by Bavarian brewers. And there'll definitely be Zing a Zingdao episode on the history of Germany at some point when we talk about German colonization and, and effects overseas. Now, the law drew criticisms from foreign breweries as a form of protectionism that allowed Germany to prohibit beers from Belgium and England, which contains, which contains sugars, grains, such as corn and rice, and clarification and fining agents. But let's face it, if they would just shape up their beer, they wouldn't have these worries. Right, Belgium, England? Since 1995, the annual Day of German Beer takes place every 23rd of, of April, in which German brewing industry would like to recall the Reinheitsgebot. This date was chosen because of its um, original manifestation in Bavaria in 1516. Anyways, that's all the time I have. There will be much, much more on this on the History of Germany podcast eventually, not to mention things like Oktoberfest. By the way, there can be only one, hint, the one in Munich. I'm Travis Dow. Auf Wiedersehen, zum Wohl und natürlich Prost. Beer just gets me so riled up, I can't help it. I'm usually such a nice guy. Hey, barkeep, one more Augustina? Yeah, mas. Now, no one drinks more beer than Bohemians. That's uh, in the Czech. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Public. No one and no place in the world has a higher pub per capita density than uh, Zhishkov, which is a which is a part of Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. You'd be crawling honestly in a Prague in a proper Prague pub crawl. You'd be crawling by the end of the first block. But I'm not in this one. Let's uh, go have a listen to Pete Coleman and some of our buddies in the Czech Republic and hear their adventures on the streets. Dobry večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Good evening from the capital city of Prague and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Germany Podcast. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different than what we usually do in our podcast when we're talking about death mayhem and all the other things that go with uh, talking about history of the Czechs and Bohemia. We're going to talk about the lighter side of things by taking a tour across the city of, of Prague and experience the pub life that's here. And so we want to kind of give a, a good experience of what that's like. And one of my buddies here that, that, I, that I've met, a, a Canadian that's that's not from the west part of Canada, is here with us tonight. And through the course of this program this evening, Travis and I will be talking to Mike, and I will also be taking our listeners to various pubs across Prague to experience the different atmospheres that are out there. So tonight I want to introduce you Mike McGuffey. Mike, thanks for joining us on the Bohemian Podcast. Hi there. Nice to be here. Mike, tell us a little bit about your background uh, that uh, when you first came here from Canada, you were kind of here in the heady days of post-Velvet Revolution Prague where it was pretty much the Wild West, if you will. There was a, not a lot of rules. There was a lot of things that, that uh, maybe a lot of trouble you can get yourself into here uh, as an expat. What was, what was the life like here in the 1990s? Uh, I came in 96 as a student for six weeks, and I'm, I'm still here after 19 years. Uh, and yeah, it was pretty crazy back in the 1990s. It was a, a very much a situation if you wanted to do something, you did it first and then uh, asked for permission later. Uh, when it came to businesses or work or anything you wanted to do, you just, you just went ahead and did it and uh, for the most part got away with it. So Mike, we had a chance um, through, through uh, 
basically about five or six months to kind of go to certain certain pubs, certain bars, and, and try to experience a few things. And, and uh, as I said during the course of the program tonight, or uh, we're going to go talk about some of these things and, and about what it's like to the, have the different atmospheres that you go uh, from one end of town to the other and the different type of bars that are out there. And, uh, you know, Travis, you've also got a chance to kind of go around the city of Prague and, and see certain pubs and whatnot. What would you say is one of the, the underlying factors that makes a, a Czech pub unique compared to the other pubs you've probably been to uh, around the world? A little gritty. Uh, it's kind of the pubs I seek out. Even if I'm back in the States, it's, it's something I like and enjoy. Kind of, uh, you get a nice little cross-section of life, let's say. I think I would second that. And Mike, you, when, when you go into a pub, what's the first thing that you, you kind of look to say, you know what, this is a place I want to go back to? What's the first thing that you kind of say, this is, this is where I want to come back to? Uh, because it's, uh, it, it feels it has a good atmosphere or it's, it's got a good clientele or, or maybe just a good beer. I try to go for the kind of places that I think uh, don't exist anywhere else. Um, I think there's, there's places you can certainly go in any other city in, in Europe or the U.S. these days. You could walk into the pub and you could be anywhere in the world. It would be exactly the same. Uh, these are the kind of joints I really kind of avoid. Um, as it comes to something that's more specific, Czech, uh, the more traditional thing is, and, and you can go back and read uh, stuff from Josef uh, Skoretsky. He talks about a Czech pub in Toronto that nobody in Canada understood. But it's bright lights, uh, smoky, uh, and no music, and communal tables. And these are just really the three kind of key things. And also you get, you get animals, you know, you get your pets show up and children can be around and grandparents. But it's a full cross-section of society from educated to uneducated ditch diggers. Everything all shows up in the same place. It's, it's, it's very much part of a, it's a very communal type of thing. Very much part of a, a, a every neighborhood has one of these kinds of joints. One of the, the times that we actually had a, a chance to hang out together, Mike, we were actually taking a tour around uh, uh, the, the Prague Castle, and we decided to slip into this place uh, called Chernihovola, which uh, is a very interesting pub. Uh, when I first got in there, I was like, wow, this is most likely what many people would call a dive in certain places. However, to be fair to the place, it still had a lot of character, which I liked a lot. Just, it kind of explains the reasons why that you like this place in, in a lot of ways. And it also had a place uh, of, of, uh, uh, for locals that you pretty much didn't want to kind of go into that part of the bar. But very communal, you know, a couple of big long tables, wooden tables, dark, smoky, a little bit there, uh, high ceilings. They, you know, this place has probably been around architecturally for a long, long time. And uh, it's, uh, it has a feeling of history to it. So we're going to go to that audio right now and our, our time with Mike McGuffey uh, and our time at the Black Ox. All right, Mike, Mike McGuffey. So we're, uh, we're in the, uh, the castle area right now, and we're uh, in, a, in a place that is, is near and dear to your heart. Tell me a little bit about uh, this place, the name of it, and, uh, and uh, what the atmosphere is like here. Uh, this is the uh, Ucenio Vola, which is uh, the Black Ox. Um, it's one of the only pubs really left around this whole castle area that is a real local place where locals hang out. There's a table sitting in the corner for the Stammgasti, the regulars. If you're not a regular, you never sit there. Uh, the waiters are pretty surly. The smoke is fairly thick. Uh, and there's a cultural association created a couple years ago to preserve this pub. It looks, uh, looking at the ceiling and the walls, it, it really definitely has a medieval atmosphere to it here. And it's, uh, I'm sure it's, it's not only popular among the tourists that are coming to see the castle, Prague Castle, but also the locals, right? So the locals kind of fill this place in during the, uh, the, during the weekdays. Oh, yeah, sure. On the, week, on the weeknights, this is only locals in here. If you're a tourist, if you walk in the door as a tourist, they're all just going to glare at you and, 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 and make you wish you'd never came in. <laughs> 
I mean, this is a good, it's a good pub, right? All right, so, so what are we drinking here today? I know what I'm drinking, so I'm driving. So, it's, but what are you, ha- what are you having? Oh, this is Kozel, Velko Bobovitsky Kozel, from uh, eh, it's about 35 kilometers outside of Prague. It's a commercial beer these days, unfortunately, but it's 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 all right for a dirty little pub. It's so, so pretty much from the atmosphere here is what, what's going on, right? Yeah, it's it's cheap and effective. Yeah. What about the food? What are we having to eat here tonight? Oh, you got sausages and fried things. That's it. Nothing gourmet here. Nothing. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. <laughs> All right, Mike, um, you've been there several times. What is your favorite part of that of that uh, of this of this pub? Uh, the absolute nastiness of the waiters, for most part. Uh, we had a really good experience when we were there, but uh, for most part, you come in. Um, and, and yeah, they're just they're just nasty. They got no time for you. If they think you're just a tourist uh, passing through, you'll get what you want. But uh, they're not going to be terribly friendly about the whole thing. So that kind of explains a little bit when I looked at the uh, menu and said, "What's good here? What's hmm?" <laughs> I, I didn't get a quite a, a helpful selection help from from this guy. <laughs> If I, remember, if I remember correctly, I kind of got the stink eye a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was one type of pub that we went to, and there there was another another pub that's actually in a um, kind of a more area that would be considered maybe gentrified, which is Carlene, which is a uh, a community that's right on the top of a river that's in Prague, pretty much very close to Prague One and goes on the border of Prague Eight, right? So it's kind of a maybe an old mill village at one point, maybe during the turn of the of the twentieth century. So it has been somewhat gentrified. It's got a nice little shops and now and and but one place that was kind of interesting is just just a regular run of the mill pub we were at one night and that was in Carlene and that was it was called Usati and uh, we tried to figure out what that what that actually meant. Was it a house? Was it some below the hill? Sled. Sled. At the sled. Yeah, it was at the sled, which I suspect has something to do with uh, Vitkov Hill being behind it. Vitkov Hill is the, the big hill that's got the largest equestrian statue in, in the world of, uh, of one of the famous uh, uh, generals, Zhishka, is on the top of that hill. So it, this is right below that. And I guess that would make sense, that, you know, sled. I guess you could sled down that hill, right? Yeah. So, so we'll go to that audio now, and we're going to a chance to talk to Mike and uh, another friend of ours, Lou, and get her experience about what it's like to go to pubs. Okay, Lou, we're actually here at Usani, which is uh, check for the sled, the street of the sled, because we're at the base of uh, Vidkov Hill, I guess, basically over here. So uh, it's just a little pub in a little town called Carlene. So uh, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, Bilovino. White wine. White wine. Fantastic. How many pubs do you get to go out to uh, during the course of a, a month or so? Do you, get, do you like to, to try out new places? I'm more a restaurant and bar kind of girl than a pub kind of gal. So not so much beer, but more of the wine aspect of things, right? Okay. So it's kind of a lively group in here, but a little smoky, a little uh, little loud. But um, you're from Australia. Tell us what the pub experience is like compared to what it is here in, in Czech Republic. Wow, you put me on the spot. <laughs> the pubs in Australia are kind of similar. Everyone's drinking beer, getting drunk, eating pub food. But um, they're not so old. <laughs> I mean, that's not a good or bad thing. It's like the pubs are a little more modern, a little... I don't know. So do the pubs have more character here in Czech Republic than they do back home in Australia? 
you could say that, but it's not like the pubs back home don't have characters. It's just a different character. It's like the pubs here have a more like authentic, old-fashioned style, historical. Would you say that um, is a good, uh, pub's a good place for an expat to kind of get to know other local Czechs and traditions here? Definitely, especially if you like beer, especially if you want to meet Czech people, and then especially if you want to get in touch with Czech culture. Thanks, Lou. Anytime, Pete. Some of uh, Travis, you know, we've gone out to many places for lunch around around this joint. So you know, it's uh, one of my favorite dishes. Of course, will be the duck with cabbage and and you know dumplings on the side of it. That'll a nice little lunch that make me make you want to take a nap afterwards, right? Uh, what's one of your favorite dishes at, at maybe a traditional Czech pub? So yesterday I had the duck and it, and it was delicious. Um, my favorite Czech meal, I one time uh, years ago had a home-cooked svičkova, which on the menu is r- translated as roast beef, but it's this peculiar, um, almost like pulled beef. I mean, it's slow-cooked beef with... Boiled. Or boiled, yeah, but it's, it should just fall apart. Yeah. And... Um, it's just really tender, and then they kind of put a lemon on it and some whipped cream and some cranberries or something, and then it has the the bread dumplings or potato dumplings, and uh, sometimes sauerkraut. Often, now the thing is, the reason that's a trick question is because whatever you get at the pub is not that. So it's called svichkova, and it can be good, but it's nothing like home cooked, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I would say that's that's that would be my answer um, if I'm. If I'm at a sketchy pub and I, but I kind of trust the kitchen, I'll go for Moravsky Vrabets, which translate as Moravian Sparrow. It's like little pieces of pork, actually, but that can be delicious. Um, oh yeah, but there's there's plenty of options out there. Goulash soup. One of my uh, most interesting dishes I was given was more of a snack, which was Olomouc cheese. Uh, it makes you kind of t- tear up a little bit, a little bit of a crying. Which it's to say it's flavor flavorful or potent. Might be uh, might be pungent. a pungent thing, yeah, but a very pungent uh, cheese. Uh, it goes well after a few bites with some pivo. <laughs> you got to get used to it though at first. Uh, what are some very interesting bits of food? And this is actually probably a great a great offshoot for having another podcast on Czech food in general. Mm-hmm. But since we're talking about pubs tonight, I think this is probably pretty important that you want an accoutrement to go with your your pivo sometimes. And what would you say would be something that, of interest that would be a, a good combination with a with maybe a twelve degree uh, uh, beer? I kind of like the uh, uh, a really good nakladný uh, hermelín, which is the uh, it's a, a Czech version of a brie that's uh, marinated garlic and a bit of uh, uh, paprika and chili and stuff in there. That can be really really good. And a little uh, if you get some hot sauce on it, it make it's it's not orthodox, but it's still really good with some hot sauce. Uh, another one is beer cheese, which I haven't. Yeah, you don't see so much anymore. But uh, beer cheese was sort of a soft cheese that gets served to you uh, with some mustard, paprika sprinkled on it, and the idea is you pour a bit of beer on it, mash it up, and spread it on some bread, and eat that with your beer. And that's good stuff too. But you really don't see that much anymore. Now I have seen this. I haven't tried it, and I've heard it's delicious, but it's not good for, uh, I guess, Weight Watchers sort of club issues. But it's it's it's. You're in the Czech Republic, so you're going to have to kind of put that stuff to a side. Um, uh, and uh, it's it's the actual taking of fat from, that you cook, right? And you spread it over toast, all right? So maybe you can talk a little bit about that because that, that looks interesting. That's actually really delicious. I, I, when I was a kid, I couldn't stand eating fat. I thought it was a horrible thing in the world. Uh, and then I made a trip to Italy, and I had uh, uh, some lardo, which is just bacon but it's just the fat of the bacon and they slice it really thin put it on a piece of bread delicious 
and then since then I'm all for it. It's a uh, uh, they make a, a from a sad loam, which is just lard. Um, sometimes it's got chunks of uh, roasted pork in it. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but with a bit of salt on, on some toasted bread, or it's maybe scraped with a piece of garlic first, is wonderful. Really, really good stuff. You had me at chunks. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. All right. So we we got a little off track here from this one last bar that I want to I want to take our listeners to. Uh, Pivo Varsky Doom. Uh, Mike, maybe you can set it up a little bit. I know we probably talked about it on this audio, but uh, maybe set up a little bit why this bar was so much, uh, some personal history for you. I think they probably opened up in 97, and it was uh, if very likely the first brew pub in Prague. Uh, Novo Miski Pivovar might have been first. I'm not sure. Um, but very, very cleanly done. Um, it was, I would say, probably the first of the modern Czech pub. Mike, our favorite little Canadian that's uh, taking us around a beer tour of Prague. And, Mike, we're here at, a, at an establishment that's got some history for you. Can you tell us a little bit about this place? Well, yeah. This is Varsky Doom, which is like brewery house. I think it opened up in like late 97. I had my wedding party here in 1998. Um, and it was pretty much the first real brew pub in Prague. And this place has a, a, is known for, for its uh, kind of flavored beer. It's got some fruit-flavored beer n- these days. Can, have, have you had any experience with that type of brew? I actually don't like the flavored beers so much. So they, they do a nettled beer, they do a coffee beer, a banana beer. They made a chili beer a few years ago that was actually really quite nice. Um, but for the most part, I prefer like the clean beers, the ones that are just you know hops, barley, water. We're actually sitting down here kind of in the basement area of all this. It seems like there's several levels of this place. And one's a street view that you can see right off the tram tracks, right, when you come down here. And uh, um, how many people do you think you can fit this place? It's, it's, it's kind of a big place in that sense. I think down, we probably had like 30, 35 people down here. Probably get the same upstairs. And there's another separate room probably for about 20 people off the side as well. Yeah, it's, it's probably, yeah, probably a good 100, 120 people in here. What's your favorite beer that they serve here? Just the regular Lejac, the regular Czech uh, uh, Pilsner-style beer. Okay. It looks a uh, pretty pretty uh, clear beer in that sense. And it, uh, how, What's the flavor like? Actually, it's not. It's, it's, it's probably one of the first unfiltered beers you were getting in the Czech Republic back in the day. See that? See that? A little cloudy. I do. It's a little cloudy in there. Okay. You're getting your esters in there, and you're getting nice aromas off it. it no, it's Stepan. It, it, they call it Stepan. Steven. It's good stuff. So remember that. Order a Stephen when you come here. Not bad. Or Stefan, if you will. Right? Thanks, Mike. No problem. Actually, making a way out of there um, uh, was interesting. As, as many of our listeners know, uh, I'm a wheelchair user, and um, getting to certain pubs in, in, uh, in Prague is a challenge. Uh, there's a way you can find a way to do it. And for this particular place, it was accessible, but I had to take a, a ramp to an elevator, to a cargo elevator, down a couple corridors, past the trash chute, and then, <laughs> then down into into this into this basement. I didn't think I was coming back. You know, Mike. One of my favorite stories that you told me on this kind of bar tour that we've done in the past few months is is uh, the story about the drunk tram. <laughs> I can actually see this. They don't have this anymore for various reasons we talk about in this next piece. But uh, you know, Travis, are you familiar with the drunk tram? Have you heard stories about it? Is this the party tram? The party tram. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tram. I've seen it roll by a couple of times. Yep. Oh, yeah. 
so those of you that, that that come to Prague, one of the first things that you see is uh, the the eclectic sort of co- uh, combinations of tram and transportation that you see here. Uh, this is a city of mass transportation. Uh, you really don't need to be driving here unless you absolutely have to. As a matter of fact, it's a good way to kind of meet people and, and uh, experience real Prague. Uh, when you jump on a bus or one of the newer trams or if you're lucky enough, one of the older trams that are, should be in museums, but they're very pretty to see because they're, they're functional and uh, is a throwback to the old days, uh, and some of these trams uh, uh, were given at one point the designation of a party tram. Uh, after certain hours, I assume that uh, were allowed for people to drink on the tram and have a good time. We're going to go to this audio right now and kind of give you an idea of what Mike and I talked about with this tram back in the day when it was uh, functional and some of the problems that uh, uh, that occurred from from drinking libation on a tram in the middle of Prague. Tell us about the uh, the party trams and back in the day in the late 90s. Oh, I think it must have been about like 90, 98, 99 or something. Somebody was, somebody was renting trams. They'd install a DJ. And I think the deal was you, you paid your fee to get on the tram, and it was free beer on the tram. So it was all canned beer. And it was you know, nice and cool, but the DJs are, the lights are going. And you'd be traveling through the different neighborhoods, and all these old people, all the old resident checks would be looking up at the windows going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and it sounded like a really good idea. And you'd be traveling along through the city, and the DJs would be all right, until you realize that free beer has an effect. And I think the first stop, they pulled off into Holoshevitska um, Terznitsa. They pull off into the park there. The tram doors open, and the entire party runs out into the forest and pees on the trees. <laughs> so about a 15-20 minute break for people to pee on the trees. Everybody gets back on the tram. You're back at it again. Uh, and the tram continued through the city, winding around. And it was, uh, I think, up on Vinoradska. Uh, the far end of Vinoradska near Zhilevskiho. Again, there's a turnaround. The tram pulls off and everybody just evacuates and pees in the park gets back on again, uh, travels back into the center again. I think the whole party winded up at Nebe in the end. It was free entrance into Nebe at the end of the party. But it was probably about two and a half, three hours of just riding the tram around the city with a DJ uh, and, and drinking free beer. And voiding where they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully not out the window. <laughs> That's great. All right, so I think we, we painted a pretty good picture, Mike, uh, about that, and, and thank you for telling us that story. I never knew that story. I didn't, unlike Travis, I never got to see that when I first moved here for about four years ago. And uh, <laughs> uh, just the thought of, of people having to stop the tram and, and go off to relieve themselves in the bushes is a is a thought. I just can't I can't unhear, I can't unsee in my in my mind my mind's eye uh, <laughs> during the course of Prague. But one thing on, on a serious on a more serious note. Uh, that there are people that um, probably do too much of the pivo, and there is a zero tolerance driving with alcohol, any alcohol in your blood, nothing, not a point what one whatever, nothing. So you got to be very careful of that, and a lot of people carry breathalyzers around with them, personal breathalyzers. So if they do have to drive, they can do that. What else can they do, Mike? There's there's one thing you there's one service that you can call here to if you drove someplace and you have too much to drink, you don't want to just get the risk of having your license taken away. So who do you call? Yeah, it was a company started up, I'm guessing, five or six years ago, uh, Modri Andial, which is a Blue Angel. And, uh, yeah, you call them. Uh, they show up with a, a car, and uh, they drive you and your car home. You give them the keys, and off they go with you. And it's actually, from what I know, it's not too much more than a regular taxi. Travis, have you uh, taken part in the Modri, uh, Modri Angel? No, I'm a, I'm a public transport guy myself, but uh, I, I know it exists. Yeah.
it, it's, it, it is a public transport sort of, sort of city. So if you do have too much to drink, there's ways to get home that way and, and, and walking around. However, there's always once in a blue moon. You sleep on the tram. There, you sleep on the tram. <laughs> you could sleep on a tram. Um, I was thinking more of a, of a bad situation. You could walk across tram tracks and not realize where you are. And, and that ha- on occasion has happened to certain people. Uh, it's not often, but uh, you, you, you do hear that you do hear it, uh, uh, that happening. So hopefully that's not something that you experience here when you come to Prague to see that. It's, it is a great city. They love their beer. They love the, the, the people that they have here. And there's also a, an atmosphere of greetings when you go into a pub uh, if you know people. I probably wouldn't do this if you went to someplace and go, hey. Or if you don't know people. The old joke was to walk into any pub that was full of people and just go, yo, ciao, Hanzo. And about half the bar was going to turn around and be confused because the name Jan is very common. What's a, what's a, what's a great greeting to, uh, to give to somebody when you haven't seen them in a while? Oh, the Czech one. Nazdar. Yeah. There's some sort of na- uh, nationalist sort of connotations to it that I don't quite understand because I'm not genetically Czech yet. Well, we actually have, have mentioned that on a, on a couple of podcasts before, Travis. And Travis, you can take it away with this one. It's a long history with the word Nasdar. So Nasdar was the old Sokol greeting. And the, that's this massive gymnastic movement that we, we bring up. Now, we did a show on it, actually. Um, and it kind of led to their independence from Austria-Hungary. Because that, that was the beginning of their, um, of their military. You know, we mentioned like all the so-called terms or militaristic terms. And that wasn't necessarily on accident. So, yeah, there's a nationalistic feel about the so-called movement, just like there is about hockey. And Nazdar was associated with that. And so it lives on today, basically. You know, when you, when you hit glasses together and you say something, you know, there's always that, that thing of saying, you know, skull if you're in Sweden uh, or cheers, you know, uh, those type of things. What do we say here in, in Prague in the Czech Republic? Nazdaravi, just to your health and sometimes just ciao. Mike, any last words about uh, some of the pubs that we have here that in, in Prague that you would like to mention or kind of throw in a couple uh, uh, tidbits out? There's one place right in, in the Jewish quarter where you have to go down the stairs. It's Upivernets. Uh, and there's all these cartoons drawn on the walls and very scatological cartoons drawn on the walls. If you go to the, the pub on the street level, uh, you're probably going to get overcharged and get some pretty nasty food. If you go down the stairs into the basement, um, that's where the real joint is. And again, smoky, nasty, everything else like that. And, I, and in the 1990s, I used to go there and uh, have the cheap – because it, it, the, the, the Jewish part of town is, is uh, very touristy. Um, so you, it's, it's hard to find a place to eat, a place to drink around there. But I learned an awful lot of Czech um, trying to decipher those cartoons on the walls of Upivernets. And, and Mike, you've also mentioned that if, if you really want to get really involved and kind of be able to fit in a little bit better, it, it, especially with the language, and as a foreigner coming in, this is not an easy language to learn. But if you kind of get yourself in there and start, you know, into a pub and start kind of maybe making some small talk here and there, you can pick up a lot of things, right? Oh, sure. You put an effort into it and people are happy to help you out. Uh, I think it's like anywhere else in the world. If you, if you walk in with the idea that everybody should speak your language, uh, you're going to get your, you know, People are not going to appreciate that very much. And, and Czechs are well aware that it is a difficult language, uh, hard to get your head around. Um, and in a pub atmosphere, that's a great place to learn it. Everybody has a few beers. They loosen up a little bit. And uh, I used to say for years, my Czech was much better after three beer than, than uh, before. Well, Mike, uh, Travis, I want to thank you for joining us on the Pahimican Podcast tonight. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we work with Mike. He's always he's just an awesome guy to hang out with and, and uh, also a fountain of knowledge <laughs> every time we talk over, over the coffee, you know, the coffee in, in, in the office. Wow, now that's all I have in English, pretty much. Uh, 
we covered some pub food there, but there's a lot more about Czech food and and um, some some good eatings that we talk about that which goes good to, with beer and um, in German there. I mean, just the whole story of like German Americans. Um, and the the kind of associations they had around the beer brewers sort of clubs uh, and German culture, which was like squash in World War One, probably directly help uh, get you know prohibition into a constitutional amendment. So that whole that's a fascinating story. I I really want to get to and Pete too. Both of us want to get to these Americana sort of stories um, and and recreate those in English and tell them in English and all that. So we'll we'll probably you know we'll we enjoy our brews. We'll uh, come back around to to beers now and then, or you know look for the excuse to. There's whole podcasts on beer, so look look for excuses to have other people on the show. I'm from Oregon, which is definitely beer country. And uh, there's there's a lot of uh, neat breweries there too to talk about. So um, yeah, it's nice to lighten the mood with a little bit more lighthearted uh, themed episode now and again. So this this obviously was fun reminiscing and looking back on too. Definitely more to come here on on podcast Nick. Thanks a lot for listening and check out all the links in the show notes, including where you can get more Bohemian episodes, history of Germany episodes, and. And um, all the other stuff is on podcastnick.com or podcastnick shop for even our Bohemican and History of Germany merch. Thanks a lot for those that, that do support the show. And of course, our exclusive and thorough interview with Pete Coleman was just uh, three, four episodes ago. Pete Coleman, look for it on the Podcast Nick show right here. And his life um, in a wheelchair, traveling, seeing the world, seeing more of the world than I'll ever see. Uh, from the perspective of of being in a wheelchair and and seeing, you know, not not really letting them stop him and fencing and all the topics that we kind of covered over a couple hours there. Um, Pete's an interesting character, so go listen to that just a couple episodes ago. And um, yeah, we'll see what we got for you next time. Thanks. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.